Hello and welcome to Wangaratta Baptist Church. My name is Pastor Aaron. I'm so thrilled that you've decided to join with us today for this message. This message was recorded live at one of our Sunday morning services, which are on every Sunday at 10 a.m. right here in Wangaratta. If you're here uh, in town on a Sunday, then why not come along and join with us in fellowship with other believers as we open the word together and hear from the scriptures. But if you are connecting with us online, don't let this replace uh, coming to a, a local church. Uh, they are vitally important for the growth of all believers. And so get along to your local church. But if not, then, then at least help. let this be a supplement to help you in your walk with the Lord. And so we do believe that the, the scriptures are the inerrant word of God and they're here to train us and equip us. And so we will be speaking and opening up the scriptures together. So, so get your Bibles out and follow along. And I trust that this message that you are watching today will really encourage you and inspire you and help you understand the hope that we do have in Jesus Christ. May it be a blessing to you. Nigel Skelsey was a very ambitious young guy and he really wanted to succeed in the photographic industry. And so he got a job in a publishing company as a T-boy, as you do. And what happened in that company is that it got itself into trouble. It was an ailing company and everybody resigned, including the editor and the managing director. The only person left on the payroll was Nigel. And so the T-boy was made managing director. And he turned that company right around and made it very successful. But he wasn't satisfied and he thought, I want to go to a different magazine. And so he went to another one that was ailing and he made that more successful than the one he'd left. He still wasn't satisfied. And so he thought, well, I want to set up my own photographic magazine. And he did. And that became the most successful of them all, winning awards all over the world. Yet he still wasn't satisfied. And he thought, well, what I'd really like to do is to be the pictures editor of a major national newspaper. And so he became the pictures editor of the Sunday Telegraph in the UK. But he said he still wasn't satisfied. He said the problem was he hated himself deep down and he hated his neighbour as much as he hated himself. In fact, he discovered his nickname at the Sunday Telegraph was The Beast. That's what people would call him. So here he was, very successful. He said he had a great job. He was earning loads of money. He had a beautiful wife, two great sons. He was driving a Porsche 911. And yet, he said he was so unhappy. And he went to stay with some friends in Switzerland. And they told him about a course they'd just done, the Alpha course, and how it was possible to have an experience of the Holy Spirit the love of God being poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And he said that this sort of desire came into him and he wanted to have that experience. So when he went back to London, he went on an Alpha course and he said, that's all he really wanted. 
He said he was going, longing for that experience of the Holy Spirit. The rest of the course, he was just trying to get through. Normally, this session today that I'm preaching in the Alpha course, if you're doing it as they say, would be done over a weekend. But we're just doing it on Sundays. Anyway, Nigel went on the weekend searching for that experience of the Holy Spirit. And he said these talks, the Saturday morning, the Friday night, he was just longing to get them over and done with, out of the way. And he said the more Nikki talked, the more depressed he got. And he wrote to Nikki afterwards this long letter about his, well, his whole life experiences really. And he said this, he said, I'll never forget that final session. I felt as though I was being torn in two. Halfway through, I just couldn't stand it anymore. The prize was so near and you were getting there so slowly. I literally wanted to scream out, do it now, do it now. I can't hold out any longer. I'm not exaggerating when I say I was in agony. Then he, he writes, that's the Holy Spirit, came. And oh, the relief. Do you know, for the first time in my life, I feel normal. It seems a strange thing to say, but it keeps hitting me just how normal I feel. I also feel loved. That's what the experience of the Holy Spirit is all about. Feeling loved. And he says, I feel accepted for who I am and I feel free. Terribly cliched, isn't it? But I feel oh so free. Yesterday... I read some words from Paul in Philippians which express so deeply how I now feel about my achievement of the last 15 years. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's the testimony of Nigel Skelsey. Feel loved. That's what it's all about. That's what this series is all about. You are loved. God wants you to know that you are loved. And he wants you to feel his love. And that is what the Holy Spirit does. Now, for a long time in the church, the Holy Spirit has been ignored. There's been a much greater concentration on God the Father, God the Son, that is Jesus, but not so much on God the Holy Spirit. You know, this has been my experience in church for most of my life. Baptist and Churches of Christ, that's my upbringing. That's where I spent most of my time in church. Had a five-year stint in a Pentecostal church just to liven things up a bit. Um, but both are very similar, right? And both have tended in the last 80 years or so to be quite conservative when it comes to the Holy Spirit. How many messages have you heard preached on the Holy Spirit in your life? If you've been in this church or, or in a Church of Christ, you know, Baptist church your whole life, probably not much, right? It's been neglected. And I think that Holy Spirit is also fairly misunderstood. You know, in the King James Version, the authorised version, it talks about the Holy Ghost. And that sounds a bit weird, a bit scary even. A ghost, really? Some dude wearing a sheet? No. 
And the Holy Spirit has also been resisted. Some people are a bit nervous of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be one of those wappy, you know, clappy, happy people, you know. No, 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 it's not for me. You know, I heard of one church in central London where it was a very formal church and they were a bit nervous about the Holy Spirit and this woman had just become a Christian and she'd experienced the Holy Spirit and was, was really excited. And in the middle of the service, she shouted out, Hallelujah! And this church deacon came up to her and tapped her on the shoulder and said, you mustn't say that here. She said, but I'm so excited. I've, I've got religion. I've found Jesus. I've, you know, the Holy Spirit. And he goes, oh, well, you didn't get that here, madam. <laughs> and, and so knowing most of our backgrounds, knowing our Baptist traditions and conservative leanings, I would like us today to open our hearts and our minds Today, they're hearing from the Scriptures what God says about the Holy Spirit and being open to experiencing the Holy Spirit as a natural part of our Christian life. And so what I want to look today at is the history of the Bible from Genesis 1-1 right through to the end of the Bible, the end of Revelation. So we're going to be here well today. No, we'll miss one or two verses in the middle. So here's Genesis 1.1, and, and it's important because the Holy Spirit was involved in creation. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. He was waiting to do something new, to bring out of the chaos the cosmos, out of the disorder to bring order, out of confusion to bring harmony, out of deformity, beauty, out of oldness, newness. The Holy Spirit always brings new things to our lives, new attitudes, new desires, new ways of worship, new songs, and I think we are a little bit conservative with, with a small c by nature. We're a little bit nervous of change. You know, I heard of one man who'd been a deacon in the same church for 46 years and someone said to him, over those 46 years, you must have seen so many changes. And he said, yes, I have, and I've resisted every single one of them. And I heard of one pastor who wanted to move the piano from, from one side of the church to the other. And he knew there'd be a lot of resistance. So he decided to do it gradually. He moved it one foot every week. And so by the year end, it was on the other side of the stage. When I was in Hobart, when we first got there in 1994, in the middle of the stage was the communion table. And behind it was this throne-looking, big, ornate wooden chair and then two beside it, one either side. And uh, over a space of a few years, the communion table sort of got lifted off the pedestal and brought forward. Then it got moved to the side slowly and then down off the stage onto the floor and to the side because it was very much more practical because the old people that would do it couldn't get up the stairs and down everything to take the elements around. 
But that had to happen slowly and gradually. People in churches seem to resist change. The lovely thing about that communion table was just this beautiful, ornate, etched writing timber. It was carved out beautiful, absolutely beautifully. And and it, it, it was supposed to say, I am the bread of life. And with this beautiful, ornate eye that was so lovely, curled and everything, the only problem was that the I and the am sort of didn't quite have enough space between them and the ornateness of the I looked like a J and so we always used to read it as jam the bread of life. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, you can't sort of change these things once they're etched in timber. But uh, change, hey? Change is part of our lives and is something that the Holy Spirit brings God is a creative God and creation brings change. The Spirit of, was hovering over the surface of the deep, over the waters. Holy Spirit brings and creates in us new things. So let's not be scared of change. Let's embrace new things that God is leading us into. And so the Holy Spirit is the creator spirit. When you create something, it is what? It is new when you create something. He wants to bring new things. And so we see Holy Spirit right at the beginning of the Bible. And as we go on through the Bible, we see what happens is this. The Holy Spirit comes on particular people at particular times for particular tasks that he's calling them to do. So, for example, he comes upon Bezalel. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Exodus chapter 31. That is Exodus chapter 31. If you need to know where that is, it goes Genesis, Exodus. So we're still near the start. Genesis, Exodus, Exodus 31 verses 1 to 5 says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Exodus 31, 1-5. I have filled him with the Spirit of God to make artistic designs. So the Spirit of God fills people. You can be a talented musician without the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit of God brings a new dimension to everything that we do. And and you see in the course of history how in extraordinary ways the Holy Spirit has filled people like Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, Johann Sebastian Bach, Handel. He has filled these people. Think of Handel's Messiah. We all know. We've all heard it. If you've ever watched carols at Christmas, you've heard Handel's Messiah, right? In 1741, Handel had suffered a stroke. He had a paralysed right arm, blurred vision, and he was not in good health. 
His sight was deteriorating and work for him had dried up. He was asked to set some bits of the Bible to music and he composed the music for the Messiah, the whole thing in 24 days. And of the Hallelujah Chorus, he said, I did think I saw heaven open and I saw the very face of God. His biographer wrote this, Handel's Messiah has probably done more to convince thousands that there is a God than all the theological texts ever written and perhaps the works of no other composer so largely contributed to the relief of human suffering. It's not just in the past. Today, God is filling people with the Holy Spirit for artistic ability. There's probably Christian authors, Christian artists that you can think of. Earlier in this series, I displayed a picture of, of, an, of, of artist Charlie Mackesy's sculpture that he did of the prodigal son. That's another example of, of how that sculpture has inspired so many people to understand what God is like, to understand that God is a loving Father who wants to embrace you in His arms. So the Holy Spirit fills us for whatever we're involved in. It could be music or art, but you know what? It's also your workplace. In Exodus, he filled a tradie to do what he had to do for the temple. The Spirit of God wants to fill you with skill and ability and creativity for what you do. And then he comes upon Gideon for leadership. Judges 6, 14 to 15. The Lord turned to him, that's to Gideon, and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. That's Judges 6, 14 to 15. See, at this point in time, Israel had been overrun by the Midianites. The country was in desperate need and God called Gideon to lead Israel. And Gideon's response is, look, I'm so weak. It's an amazing thing that God uses people who feel weak, inadequate, ill-equipped. You know, personally, I find this very encouraging. <laughs> he can even use me. Yeah, and how does he do it? Verse 34, then the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, Judges 6.34. Then Samson for strength and power, Judges 15.14. The spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped off from his hands, Judges 15.14. So often what happens in the Old Testament in a physical way, happens in the New Testament in a spiritual way. So just as God's Spirit gave Samson physical strength to break free from his bindings, so the Holy Spirit gives us freedom to break the habits, the addictions, the stuff that keeps us spiritually bound. And then he came upon Isaiah for prophecy. Isaiah 61 verse 1. 
The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He's sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and to release from darkness for the prisoners. So this is an amazing thing that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He gives us the ability to help other people, to set other people free. It's not just about having a warm feeling or a personal experience. It's about making a difference to the world. When the Spirit of God fills you, you can help people, the poor. You can bind up the brokenhearted. People will come to you who are brokenhearted because they know that there's something about you that enables you to help them, to bind them up and to proclaim, proclaim freedom for the captives. You know, some people are set free instantly. For others, it's, it's a longer-term thing. You know, some here today might even identify with something that Bono said. He said, for all that I was lost and I am found, it's probably more accurate to say I was really lost and I'm a little less so at the moment. And then a little less and, and a little less again. You know, that, that's probably a shared experience for most of us in our spiritual journeys, the slow and progressive reworking, you know, like installing new updates at regular intervals like you do on your computer that sort of, okay, that's something new now and then you slowly get the, the next thing. Like reading the small print of a service menu it, it, it's, it, and it's slowly rebuilt. We're slowly rebuilt in a better image. And for most of us, the ongoing work of what we call, that is called sanctification, the ongoing work of becoming more like Jesus is not over for any of us yet. But Jesus sets us free. He sets the captives free, proclaim freedom for the prisoners. He says to release from darkness those in prison. You know, one of the things that is deeply satisfying is to see people who physically are in prison set free by Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit. I often think there's uh, some people who are more free who are in prison than people outside prison who are in kind of spiritual captivity. And whenever we're in prison or out of prison, Jesus comes to set us free. The Holy Spirit gives us that freedom and we can proclaim that and we can bring that to other people. And that's a huge blessing. So in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on particular times, on particular people at particular times for particular tasks. But as you go through the Old Testament, there's a kind of, of rising sense of anticipation that, that, that something new is going to happen. And the new thing is called the promise of the Father. So what is the promise of the Father? Well, grab those Bibles again and let's head over to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. Ezekiel 36, 26. I think I've got it on the screen as well. I do. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. 
I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. It's as if in the Old Testament, it was like all of these laws and decrees were out there and people looked at them and were like, yep, they're good rules. They're good things. Yeah, I agree with them, but, but we can't keep them. And therefore, they became a burden and people just felt guilty that they weren't able to keep them. And God says, look, when my spirit comes to live within you, it'll be different. It won't be like a great heavy burden of all these rules. You will have an inner desire. The spirit gives you a desire to live a life that is more loving, more kind, more generous. And he says he'll take away our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh. I think of Jackie Pullinger. She has this amazing ministry. She spent her life working with sex workers, with triad gang leaders, with heroin addicts. And what she's done is see them set free by the power of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, an amazing ministry. And she once started a talk by saying this, God wants to give us soft hearts and hard feet. The problem with most of us is that we have hard hearts and soft feet. And when the Spirit of God comes, He softens our hearts. He gives us compassion and gives us hard feet, a willingness to go anywhere. Jackie Pullinger's got hard feet. But if you ever see her with a prostitute, with a drug addict, you see this extraordinary compassion and love in her heart. That's the promise of the Father. But who is it going to be given to? And how will it happen? Well, Joel 2.28 says, God says this, but afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and daughters, so that's regardless of gender, will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. So that's regardless of age. Even on my servants, that's regardless of rank, race, background, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. This is the amazing thing. It's everyone. So particular people at particular times for particular part, uh, tasks, that's how it was in the Old Testament. Then there was the promise of the Father. I'm going to do something new. And it's going to be not just for particular people at particular times for particular tasks. It's going to be for everyone. This is what the prophecy said. This is what God was saying to them. And then they waited and they think, wow, this is exciting. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen for centuries. But then suddenly, with the birth of Jesus, it's like the trumpet sounds, everyone is surrounding the birth of Jesus. It is filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke 1.35, this is Mary, the mother of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
Then Mary visits Elizabeth and she's pregnant with Jesus in her womb. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke 1.41. And then John the Baptist says, I will baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke 3.16. You know, baptism literally means to to drench, to overwhelm, to immerse, to plunge. It's like a ship being sunk. And I think sometimes my heart is like this. You know, those old-fashioned sponges that are a little bit crusty on the outside. You put them in water and the water doesn't really seem to go in them. But then after a bit, the water starts to soften and, and once it's soft, it really takes in the water. And then you take it out of the water and the water is just pouring out. That's what happens when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like being baptized. It's like being drenched and filled. And then we read of Jesus, verse 22, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form. And Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. Chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 4, 14 of Luke Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. He went into the synagogue and he read these words that we read, bef- that we read before from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sat down and he said... Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He says, I'm the key to all of this. And then John 7, 38, 39. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said it in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, would have streams of living water flowing within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So Jesus says, it's going to happen. Jesus being glorified, Jesus being crucified and raised to life. And that happened. And still they waited. Acts 1, 4 to 5. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1, 4 to 5 and verse 8. There's like a rising sense of anticipation. They're waiting. When is the promise of the Father going to be fulfilled? It's almost like a champagne bottle being shaken. There's, there's this building anticipation and then... Chapter 2, verse 2, the cork flies off. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing 
of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Acts 2, 2-4. All of them, not just particular people at particular times, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And the reaction when people saw this, some people were amazed. Some were amazed and perplexed. Some people made fun of them. They said, they're drunk. They've had too much wine. They gave a natural explanation for something supernatural. And Peter gets up and says, let, let me explain to you what's happening. This is the Holy Spirit. He says, this was prophesied in the Bible. And he quotes from the prophet Joel, who we read earlier. In those days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And he says, this is Jesus. And then, most amazing of all, he says this, this is for you. Acts 2 verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, not just for the people who were there, for you and your children, for, for the next generation, not just for them, for, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. He says, this promise, this promise of all the things we've been looking at, this promise of life, of harmony, of beauty for ashes, of creativity, of newness, of strength, of freedom, of compassion, of anointing, of living water, this promise is for you and 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 you. And so today, can I encourage each one of us to be open to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, to be responsive as He leads and guides us, to be willing and inviting of His activity amongst us and in us and through us. Let each of us experience the freedom and new life that we have in Christ that is sealed in us by the Holy Spirit.